Hi, I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. All right, welcome everybody to Lit and Libations. Hi, Sadie. Hi, Audra. Uh, I'm so excited to be recording. We haven't recorded in a little while. We've I had know. some trips. I was out of town for two weeks. We've had some, we've just all been a little busy and with the holidays. So we appreciate all your patience. Well, our uh, postings aren't always as regular as we would like them to be, yes. but I'm very happy to be recording. Um, and also, we've just been a little busy because Sadie is engaged, <laughs> everybody. What? Yeah, so congratulations to Sadie. Her and her lovely uh, fiancé, Brian, are engaged, and we are all just so very happy for you. you. So congratulations. Thank you. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, and that's been taking up a little bit of our our time as well. Uh, But I'm really excited to talk about uh, your pick, Liberation Day by George Saunders. So I I hope you guys got a chance to read it or listen to it. I really wanted to listen to the audiobook, but I haven't had a chance yet. But I... Loved it. It's so good. I, I did both. So I did. Uh, oh, I'm interested to hear your take on that. I really liked it. I really. It was very well done. It was very well done. Okay. Um, the one thing is like to the listenership who have read George Saunders, like his stories both really work as audiobooks, and then some of them don't work quite as well where like I feel like visually what he does on the page is also important. And we'll talk about that a little bit, I think, in the next episode. Yeah. Um, but so, like, some of them were, like, spectacular. And then other ones I was like, oh, I'm going to have to, like, reread that again mm. to see how yeah. it looks on the page. Because it, like, I, I'm i just such a reader. Like, I need to kind of see too. the words on the page. For for me, anyway, it helps my comprehension a little bit more, too. Um, mm-hmm. But I really love everybody that he had on it. And I also think he is a fabulous reader. Like, I really like hearing him read his stories. Um, And one of them, I think it's Love Letter, which I'd like to discuss in this first episode. Um, I'd heard that for the first time. I think he read it on the New Yorker podcast when Mm -hmm. he first wrote it and published it. And it was amazing. And just as good the second time listening to it. So um, anyway, that's good to hear. Yes. So we are talking about Liberation Day by George Saunders. Um, Again, if you didn't catch our last episode where we had talked about this, this is a short story collection. It's pretty short. It's it's really not a lengthy collection at all, Um, but it's one of it's a newer one from him. And I think it is fabulous. Again, if you have not listened to any of our previous episodes, you should know by now that I am obsessed with George Saunders and he's like my favorite living author and I think he's incredible. So it's safe to say I really enjoyed pretty much anything he produces. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm excited for your like to talk about it with you. I So we'll be discussing stories. Let's see. The first five. So that's Liberation Day, The Mom of Bold Action, Love Letter, a thing at work and Sparrow. Mm -hmm. And then our next episode, we'll be discussing the last four. So even if you haven't go ahead and get through those uh, stories and then come back and listen. Um, And then before we get into that, 
the book we will be doing next Mm -hmm. um, after we finish uh, Liberation Day is called The Book of Goose. It's a novel by, is it Yiwin Lee? Yiyan Lee. Yiyan Lee. Um, So I already finished this. I love it. I'm obsessed with this. Excited to talk about it. Um, She's great. Did you? I don't even know. Did you read Gold Boy Emerald Girl? No. And I want to read all the rest of her stuff. Um, I read her short story collection. I remember a a few years ago, I think it was 20, I think it was 2017. I feel like it was the same year that Lincoln and the Bardo was published. Um, Mm. she came out with a collection or a short story that was in the New Yorker that I really, really loved. And then, um, that encouraged me to read Gold Boy Emerald Girl, which is one of her short story collections. And it like changed my world. She's amazing. She's you know what's funny is they go really well together like this was a nice book to read after uh liberation day really yeah like i think um and maybe we can talk a little bit about maybe we'll have like a little extended episode and we can kind of talk about that oh that'd be fun after you read this book but yeah it's really it was i think they go well together that's just kind of my thoughts right now um so yeah go ahead and pick up your copy of um the book of goose from your local bookstore or bookshop.org. Um, and then those episodes will be coming out uh, after we finish this book up. So, um, what are you drinking? Okay, so Brian is so cute. So Audra and I actually started... Your your fiancé? My fiancé, yes. My fiancé. Although, um, I read something what? that, uh, you know, it's only your fiancé if they come from the fiancé oh. region of France. Otherwise, he's just your sparkling boyfriend. So instead of fiance, we shall henceforth. I've already communicated this in the family chat. Um, we shall henceforth be calling him your brosecco. Oh my god! Not your fiance. So just so you know. Oh my gosh! Oh, take Megan me. is already on board. Your sister um, and <laughs> your father laughed at it. I don't know if that means he'll do it. Um, I think but. it means he thinks it's really funny. The fact that he actually participated in a family group chat, like that's that means it's like God tier comedy and he loves it. Yeah, I wish I came up with it myself. It's just a retweet from someone. <laughs> but uh yeah. So uh yes, yeah, so your Brosecco made your drink. Yes, he did. Um and he's so sweet. So he had made me a drink earlier. Um, when Audra and I started to talk to each other uh, <laughs> two hours, two hours ago, ago um, before <laughs> recording this episode, but we just can't stop. We just can't get enough of each other. We love each other so much. Um, mm-hmm. So by the time we actually sat down to record this episode, I was already done with that drink. That was a delicious drink. It was like a cranberry pomegranate vodka mm. spritzer sort of situation. It was delicious. Um, this drink is. Um, Kind of a white Russian, kind of a an espresso martini. So it is a shot of espresso, Kahlua, um, milk, and eggnog. And I love it. And vodka, obviously. That, but that that sounds delicious. It's actually really good. And he was smart. I I was a little overzealous and I was kind of like oh let's like go hard on the eggnog and he was like no Mm. that's bad choice bad call like you can't go hard on that's gonna be too too rich too too sweet too crazy and I think he was correct he went the right direction it took two tries to perfect this 
beverage, and I have to say, I think it is fantastic. He's the cutest and the best bartender in the world. Well, that's lovely. That's very nice. I know. I think I'll marry him. him. I think I'll marry him. I think I will. Why don't you? Yeah, I better get started on that process. Oh, wait, we already are. Oh, Oh, what do you know? It's crazy. Love it. Um, Well, I made a little... So, not only is Sadie engaged, but I have the honor of being her lady of honor. And she very kindly sent me a bottle of Prosecco and some beautiful flowers from SLC Moments um, to ask me, uh, which was so kind. So, I am drinking that Prosecco, but I also... Mixed it with this juice I got from Vibe Juicery, and it's like has it's like apple cider, but it also has like nutmeg Ooh. and I don't know some other healthy shit in it. Because I was like, oh well, apple cider and prosecco would be good. Um, mm-hmm. But so I did that that with it because it had all these other kind of spices, and it's good. So it's like a little prosecco apple cider cocktail. That um, seems like very. And I'm drinking it like folly too. Like, does it yeah. taste pretty autumny, seasonal? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's very good. And then I'm drinking it out of my peacock tiki mug that my <laughs> lovely friends got for me. Um, so, yeah. So it's just a nice pre think day before we're recording this, the day before Thanksgiving um, mm-hmm. drink. Because I don't really love how we all talk about Thanksgiving, but it's always good to be thankful for yeah. things. And I'm thankful for lots of things. And I have great friends and family. So drinking out of the cup in their honor. Well, I'm thankful for you. Oh, we are so please put like an alert on this. I know. Episode, um, sorry. We're yeah, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to have Kendrick like insert a little blip of me being like content warning, severe yeah, sappiness this in this episode. Skip it's ahead. <laughs> please skip to ten minutes into the episode to skip all the sappiness. Even though all the sappiness is just gonna run throughout. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Yeah, it- um. But speaking of SLC moments, I do actually have to say I have to give them a huge shout out. She is so fantastic. I um, messaged her at like midnight on Instagram and I was like, I want to do this. Like, what do you think about this? And she was like, "Okay, how about Prosecco instead of wine? And also, is this fine? And then she just like immediately put it together and was like, by the way, she's coming to my house at like 1130. So like this is already like she just like she did it in like. A minute. It like, worked perfectly. She was so fast. It was awesome. So fantastic. Yeah. yeah. If you have anything flowers events wise, definitely go with the uh, SLC moments if you're here in Utah. She's great. Yeah. Um. Okay. Let's talk about the book. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I guess do you just want to like go maybe story by story and then maybe in the, like the second episode we can talk about like overarching thoughts, feelings, sure. themes. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, uh, yeah, I think so too. Okay, so honestly, I think the first one was one of my. Uh, I'm gonna reserve putting a hard, definitive statement out there, but I think this was one of my favorite. This was my yeah. favorite. Yeah, to, Liberation Day to me is like the quintessential George Saunders short story. Like it really reminds me of, um, and not in like a, like, in a way that I feel like he's like doing the same thing necessarily but like it's just so Mm -hmm. classically George Saunders in like a way that I just like don't really feel anybody else writes like about stuff like this like I just think he's great so Liberation Day is a fun story I guess how would you describe the situation it's like about this um man named Jeremy who is basically like 
I, I don't know what I would even term him because it's not like it's more like he's kind of like a human artistic. So slave. it's kind of this dystop not dystopian, but this like future ific idea. Yeah. Like I don't know. It's like I said, we're not gonna talk about overarching themes, except I feel like it helps explain the story a little bit. I feel like most of these stories are like basically like what if what if Liberation Day never comes? Yeah. Like this is what we devolve into and part of what has like has happened is there's obviously people who are used as like kind of puppet mouthpieces and rich people can own people and have them like basic like they're part machines part you know part human and yeah they give these orations like and they're kind of used as a form of entertainment and Jeremy is one of those people he's a speaker yeah um and it's just i don't know the the story is really intricate and fascinating and i was obsessed with it and i wanted to i wanted to like a whole novel about mm-hmm. about this and Jeremy and and i mean it's so strong right off the bat like mm-hmm. like in the very first like the very first page and you're figuring out what's going on. And he says, one may talk, but cannot speak. How could one? To enjoy the particular exhilaration of speaking, one must be pinioned. Yeah, pinioned. Yeah, pinioned to the speaking wall. Otherwise, one speaks like this, as I am speaking to you now, plain, uninspired, nothing of beauty about it. Like, what a way to start your short story collection. <laughs> like, He's so good. It's so good. And so then it's like, well... What is speaking versus talking and like, mm. like how, how he's like building up this whole collection through this story, I think is really, mm-hmm. I just love it. It's such a great story. And I love how it's the very first one. Like that made the whole collection for me. Like I liked everything else, mm-hmm. but for this one alone, I love this collection. I do too. And like, I like, um, this this story is interesting to me because it's so clear that like Jeremy and the other speakers and the um, there's the, the two others, the, the like singers there, they, yeah. they don't like speak, but they make they, other noise. Yeah. They vo- vocalize. Yeah. And um, like, they're so clearly kind of like this, these victims in the situation, the insinuation is that um, they were, probably poor they were in a bad situation and like they basically donated or sold off their body um to pay their family so the idea is like their family is getting a stipend monthly for them doing this but their brain has been completely like their memories have been wiped they don't seem to remember anything and they're completely brainwashed um and kind of like devoted to these people that um use and abuse them you know yeah and so this it like the way that the story kind of like goes through is he's talking about these basically like these productions that mr Yu, who is uh or like untermeyer i think is the full name um Mm -hmm. he's he seems to be kind of like the creator of them and he um uploads like stories for them to tell and speak to an audience and they like invite friends over and stuff. And like, they're horrible. Like the first, the first one that they do, um, he talks about, you know, them 
just being awful. Like even as I am speaking, I am aware of looks of pity, of commiseration um, from Craig and Lauren. Um, you were like, you know, you are clearly doing your best. You know, this is awful, but, but basically, but like the the crowd doesn't seem to love it. So like they keep getting put into these different situations, and then like, and one of them is Custer's last stand. Yeah, it's also, yeah, we, let's talk more about that when we get there too, but the yeah. story within the story and the story they tell, yeah. like they're acting as, that's an interesting, like, oh, let's just, <laughs> I mean, he, it's I don't know, it is, it is a touch, I don't want to say heavy handed in a bad way, but like he really does hammer home the point, like. Oh he, yeah, he doesn't. You can't miss any of the, like, he is not. He's, yeah. he's very upfront. And I think that like this short story collection in general but I think you see this in Liberation Day is I think that honestly George Saunders I think really speaks to like the times and the moment and there are other stories in in the collection that are a bit more explicit with that um, about like as far as specificity goes but like I think he in this collection in a lot of ways is like sick of dancing around the issues <clears throat> and like I think he wants to be clear like in the message unequivocally clear of what he's trying to get across and I do think he is I think he's pretty much always successful at doing it um but I yeah I just I think he does a great job it's so fun to like read about um this character, you know, as he's kind of like in this um, haze of like not really understanding what's going on. And like, so Mike, who is the son of Mr. and Mrs. Yu, who he, he kind of like seems like the classic, you know, like kid who's gone to college and like knows better and um, clearly sees that there's like some inhumanity going on here. And Um, so he's always like very confrontational with them and so they don't like him. And so I think it's like on page 14 is like when Mike comes in and they call him adult son, Mike. And like the way that he talks to them, you know, they, they, you know, they're convinced that he's a person of low character and that they shouldn't engage with him. But it's clear that Mike is just trying to like wake them up in a way, but he's like also kind of harsh about it do you know what I mean like he he almost like treats them like they're stupid even though well I yeah I think like that's it's interesting how he does that in the story is like the son who doesn't think how they're being treated is right Mm -hmm. still treats like he it's almost like he's the other side of the coin with his father a little bit like you know there's that whole if you go too far and like too far one way like it it all meets itself back again it's like yeah there's this you know, these, and he kind of does that and shows that, especially with how he tries to free them at the end of the story and ends up like not only not freeing anybody, but like there's death and like, it's this really awful and it gets out of hand and all of that. And so I think he does a nice point of while he hammers a lot of stuff home, it's like, he shows you all the, the sides of everything. It honestly feels a little hopeless. Like, I feel like this collection was not very, (laughs) like, it was kind of hard. Like I, I had to take Mm -hmm. breaks after the stories because they just made me like a little anxious because 
it mm-hmm. does all seem so, you know, I mean, that's what, I don't know. Can you call this science fiction? I would. I think that he, like, I think it is like it more made me uncomfortable fiction-y. in ways that, it's like, that, it's, yeah. it's like, it's not dystopian in the way that I view, like, even a handmaid's tale or like I'm trying to think of others that seem more like realistic as far as maybe our actual capabilities as human beings, but like it still feels um, prescient and like, well, and like that's part of our privilege a little bit, right? Is like same with like the handmaid's tale. Like Mm -hmm. that's not really like that is happening. Right. Exactly. Like, exactly. And it's happening and it's been happening to like, you know, black and brown women for, you know, ever. And yeah. now it's like this story of white women. So that's really popular. And so it's like, those are things to think about too. Like these, these stories in here, it's like, oh, they make me so uncomfortable. Cause it's like, oh, that could be a reality. It's like, well, that obviously not, people aren't literally like attached to a wall and speak out of, but like that mm-hmm. idea of you know, being disadvantaged. And so all of that, it's, it's just, it's very uncomfortable reading. Um, it is. Cause I mean, I think in this one specifically, like it kind of shows, um, to me, this is like criticizing maybe wage disparity as well of just like the, the fact that people are like literally auctioning off like their family members for like a monthly stipend so that they can like survive. And then other people yeah. are living such opulent lives that this is what they're doing and they've like convinced themselves that it's okay. And that this is what entertainment is to them. Um, That's kind of what this brought to me, brought out for me. But I also do think that like he does a good job of kind of like thinking about um, liberation movements and stuff. He talks a lot about like protest in this collection and also um in this case in this story specifically, you know, Mike brings in this um this group of people. There's clearly like a group of, like a social group that is fighting against this kind of stuff. And um yeah. so he helps them infiltrate the house during one of the performances and during the intermission They come in, they have a gun and, um, you know, like they are, they are violent and Mike is kind of like startled, you know, like they talk about how they are going to kill his parents. He opened up a a box that he wasn't able to shut and wasn't expecting what he got out of it. Exactly. And he was like somehow expecting for this, like to be a peaceful, like what, like that they were just going to like heist these people out and like nobody was going to get hurt or like it's like weird to think about what his expectations were going into you know helping them out um but so they come in and like there are two members I think of the audience that die um and then there's um and then they have this big confrontation and Jeremy actually is they try to like turn off his 
character in a way, like his connection to this performance that he's trying to do. But in reality, they, like he was already turned off. And so they accidentally turn him back on or something. So it kind of like goes between realities of him being in the mindset of these characters and the story that he's trying to portray um, yeah. of these characters at like Custer's last stand which is crazy yeah and that's even funnier it's like it's like soldiers and Native Americans involved in Custer's last stand and like this interesting like huge battle that it's like you know this is one that you could say the Native Americans won like and had a a good victory Mm -hmm. but like they still ultimately were defeated yeah you know I mean they were still ultimately like genocide happened and so it's interesting because it's like this good like you almost think like oh this is gonna change something this Mm -hmm. fight this big victory Mm -hmm. and it ultimately it changes like nothing and jeremy's worse off in some way not worse off he's nothing's changed for the better nothing's changed for the better there's some of the and and like and also you think about like I'll eat, uh, Jeremy is the main character, but there are the other two that he's with. It's Craig and um, Lauren. And they, during this, you know, this heist, trying to get them out, they're able to recollect and access these, like, memories that they were having. And they start, like, to rebel. But Jeremy is, it's almost like he has, like... He he does seem to remember things, but he also still has this like feeling of like loyalty to these people. And mm-hmm. so he takes the gun and he actually kills two of the um people trying to help him escape. And what happens is that because Lauren and Craig like remembered and were aware of the situation that they were in, they end up being taken away and their minds are erased again. They're given new names and they have to, like, they have to start over and they're put in again, just like a, another bad position. But Jeremy's brain is like never wiped. Like this is something that he just like lives with now. And it's almost like it's supposed to be a reward, but it's not, it's, it's so bizarre um, but I, yeah. t- I totally get what you're saying about like this story and others feeling like, I think, I don't know if he's, it-, it is hopeless because like, there's no, I don't know, like right way. I, to, that's, to I take nothing, it as hopeless because it all just, there's nothing it, good it to just do. Everything. No, like, that's the thing. Like, the whole situation has just devolved. Like, there's no Mm -hmm. more, like... There's no more reason or, like, sanity or, like, humanity in a way. Like, because even though these people are, you know, trying to help them escape, they also exhibit cruelty and, like, um, authority in a way that, like, There's no... It's like there's no good guy. Yeah. Like, there's no... It's just, it's all... I don't know. It's such a good, like, interesting story, and I'm like, oh, and it's all gone to shit. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's mm-hmm. they're they're really they're really powerful. That one was by far my favorite. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I I really liked. It. I just really and I enjoyed it again talking about it. So I was just I could I could change my mind, but I think that one was really my favorite. I know. I love I love the way he writes. Like, um, 
I just could read his stuff all day. Like this, that story was like what, like sixty something pages, and I, yeah. I really kind of wish I'm like, come on, man, like come out with another novel, like because I just can't get enough of his brain <laughs> in a way. Um, luckily, his last novel I thought was uh, Lincoln and the Bardo was a little more hopeful than I think this one is, um, but I. I love it. And th- this is not like the first story like that kind of reminds me of like Into the Spider Head or something from like his other short stories collection. And um Yeah, this one was just really good. I I highly recommend the story and it it was also one of my top favorites. It was a great introduction. It was a perfect like I think the placement of the stories were all really well done. Um, as yeah. far as the order that he put them in the collection, I thought this was th- like that was a a good mindset to be in to read the rest of the stories. Yes, it very much sets the tone, which is which is nice. Um, should we? Okay, so Mama Bold yeah, Action. You want to move on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why don't you give us a little? I mean, the, the it this one's a little simpler as far as like plot wise, but it's like this mom who like writes like kind of silly cheesy children fable stories and like she's like and then her son who's what are we thinking like young like he's like like I don't know I would say like fourth fourth to yeah like eight nine fourth grade something like that yeah and he gets like pushed like kind of assaulted by uh, a man he the kid has like walked down walked down to town and he wasn't supposed to be there and he gets like he's not seriously injured but he's, he's like just pushed like into a, he's like pushed into a bush by yeah and a f- unfamiliar scary looking dude and is like freaked out because he's a kid yeah and he's like a transient um or something that's what they assume and so then her they like go to the police they quote do everything they're supposed to do and mm-hmm. her son can't like the police um bring in two men that they consider suspects, I guess. And her son can't accurately identify them. And so they make a big point of, well, we're not going to do anything because we can't accurately identify. But then they're very upset that these men have left. And then she's convinced she knows which one or knows that they did it and like goes and writes this fevered like essay about this experience. And also like her husband's like masculinity or like, like lack taking thereof, care of lack the, there of the police and mm-hmm. yeah why didn't the police and her husband just like beat the shit out of this guy to why don't why, I mean, why not both of, of them just to like make sure that the bad one got beat yeah up, you know this total justification of it all and like and so then her husband reads that and goes out there and assaults one of the men and then they realize he assaulted like the wrong one mm-hmm. and this guy that he assaulted is now permanently injured and she sees this and then it's this whole, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like justification of the whole situation of like everything that happened. It felt so like MAGA to me. Oh my gosh. Like same. Like she is a woman at a Trump rally wearing all the MAGA stuff. Oh, absolutely. Like, especially it was, I felt I felt the same way, and like especially because the the really truly like hateful and disgusting thoughts that this woman has about people, like she has like these little seeds and moments of like where you think she's gonna actually be able to like empathize and not judge somebody, and then she's like, no, fuck this guy, he like 
My kid mm-hmm. has a scrape on his head because of this yeah. son of a bitch. Like, fuck this guy. He deserves the to have, like, he's a low life. Gross. But then it cuts to, like, you know, these people in her life that she just has made excuses for and, you know, can be, is totally fine with, um... In her life. So, like, she has this uncle Keith or, like, a cousin Keith who literally, like, has assaulted a ton of people, has gone to jail back and forth, is, like, an inherently violent, like, repeatedly violent offender. Um, Yeah. Got a 17-year-old pregnant and then, like, died in jail and oh yeah all that stuff about her brother is crazy yeah he's like a shitty person but she's like oh but like if you knew him like I knew him you know Mm -hmm. like she knows all this stuff that he's done but she makes all these excuses for him but then the way that she thinks about and then also like her complete lack of really actually being able to take responsibility and see that, like, the things that she's doing and, like, the attitude that she has has an impact is bonkers, is absolutely bonkers. Like, she thinks, like, like when she writes yeah, that her, story, you know, she thinks it's, like, this crazy stroke of genius. And then as soon as there's a yes. consequence for her, like, absolutely insane thoughts and, you know, she, like she writes this thing that apparently like pushes her husband to do this inane, crazy, violent action. You know, she is just like, well, like what? Like, why would you have read that and assumed that that's what I wanted to do? Even though that's exactly what I said you should have done in the, in the thing that I wrote. Oh yeah. Her like twisty, turny self-justification logic is insane to like, yeah follow along with it's I love how he set this in her head like that really was a nice framework for the story mm-hmm. like it's interesting on its own but like having it be all kind of in her head is really great because you it really just feels creepy like you really get this right from the get-go before you even know what's happening like there's nothing like she's pretty seems kind of blandly fine yeah. which I think is the genius of it right like very unsuspecting like everything's fine here everything's good and then like the further along you go you're like oh like there is something really off with you like you are not a good person but everybody would think you are a good person which I think just hits home a lot of that like mm-hmm. magnus too and mm-hmm. so it's it's very insidious like I, like agree. I said I had to take breaks after all these stories I agree like she definitely um he does this this is something that I do think George Saunders does a lot is he puts like almost like I think sometimes I think for him it's like a mental exercise of like can I think like this person um and there was this one there was an interview that he did on um NPR I think it was when he had made or he'd written that really amazing article that he wrote for the New Yorker like around the time of the election and it was like talking Mm -hmm. about empathy and like politics and how like it's actually a good thing to try and mentally like put yourself in these people's shoes to like understand their positions what is going on inside their heads 
even though you, yeah. you like you don't have to agree with it, but it is actually like a healthy exercise to try to like change it. Sure. And sometimes I think that's what he does with his writing. It's like I think it's a mental exercise almost for him as well as like for his readership to try to get into this framework and try to like see this the moments where like this is a person obviously but like what the fuck is going on inside their brain and yeah um this story was like that a lot like the the, you know the fact that she literally she literally has like moments where she you know wishes for corruption within like you know she longs for like the old corruption of the police police force which you know like that corruption is still rampant but like you know like she's literally it's it's like vigilantism that she's like trying to propose and trying to think about but then oh yeah in every other breath you know she's all about like this letter to the law and like not being a bad person and like how dare you touch my son and push him in a bush and like how dare you be a vagrant and like all this stuff it's there's so much like othering that this that she does in this whole situation and interaction that is appalling. Yeah, I agree. It's, she's a very unlikable character, but one that's like fascinating because I just truly don't understand it. It's like, I, I just can't understand her logic, but he does a good job of like letting I think he does a a good job in this story and being not as heavy handed in so, as some of the others about how you feel about her. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. like he kind of lets you come to that conclusion. You get there quickly, hopefully, but it like he lets you kind of settle into it, which I think is interesting Yeah, because it almost makes it worse. Does that make sense? Like, I think it makes it worse. It also like these moments where she because we kind of talked about how she flits kind of like back and forth and she'll say something absolutely crazy and then she'll be like oh but like that's unfair oh I probably shouldn't say that like stuff like that you know well, so like I, yeah and I understand her desire to protect her child yeah like that's the thing like that's I totally understand that and that would I mean I that and of course yeah and I but so that it traps you that way too yeah and that or trapped me that way I think so, too, because, like, that's a situation that, like, you know, you feel like you can, like, it's something that's clearly wrong. Like, the, like whoever, whichever old man did this or whatever, like, vagrant did this, he obviously should not have put his hands on this kid and, like, pushed him around. But, like, yeah. um, her self-awareness at times in these moments to that like she's going too far with something but then she really like kind of just ignores it and then puts it under the rug she recognizes it and then she just moves on but doesn't change anything is yeah I think in a lot of ways like one of the worst things about her is that she has like just as much as anybody else she has the toolkit that she needs to like better herself and how she responds and like thinks about these kinds of situations, but then just doesn't do it. You know, like she, she thinks about, Oh, like I feel so guilty that this guy like 
has his knee shattered and now he's like a cripple and he was an innocent guy. But also like it kind of doesn't matter that he was an innocent guy. Maybe we shouldn't just like be crippling people even if they fucked up. You know, like there are enough punishments, I think, like in the system most of the times that we don't actually need to do these kinds of things. And then, you know, they toy with like, oh, maybe we should like pay for his medical bills or like try to do this, try to do that, you know. But then ultimately, like, okay, like you are trying to think about stuff like that, but you're not going to do anything. You know you're not going to do anything. And when you have the opportunity to to get out of trouble because her husband gets caught and she's called by the police officer and they basically like strike a deal, like you drop your charge – we won't charge you for assault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, less work for us. Like, everybody gets a deal, basically. You know, the, she jumps at it. And all of a sudden, kind of, like, her, her, uh, like, desire to, like, avenge her son in that moment is, like, gone. You know, she wanted yeah. this guy to, like, see his day at, like it gets some sort of punishment and stuff. And now it just like, she's just like, okay, no, never mind, We'll drop it. Like, because we fucked up. It's just pretty crazy. And then, you know, she just gets that, she gets that benefit. She still gets that. um, Well, I think it almost, it reinforces for her the idea that what she did is right. Like, even though like it's, it just reinforces it and it feeds into that like victim mentality that she has built for themselves. Like, ugh. I know. It, it's just none of it's genuine. It's really it's really interesting to watch or to read about. Um, I liked that one too though. Yeah, that was that was a good one. Um I mean, again, like I love all of these. I think they're all good. So um that was a good one. Um, I love Love Letter. Okay, I really liked it. It wasn't as my favorite as some of the others, but I did like it. So why don't you talk about it right now? Because you start us off. So I, okay, so Love Letter is a letter to Dear Robbie um, from Grandpa. And so the, the, at the top of the letter, you know, he purposely like doesn't include um, an actual date. However, it is 2020 something. So it is clearly the near, very near future. And I think that this, this so this letter is basically a grandpa writing to his grandson about basically like how shit happened and how things got where they were. And um, kind of, sorry if you hear squeaking, Buffy is playing with a toy like right outside of my door. And it's squeaking really loud. I doubt the mic is picking it up, but I can hear it. So <laughs> sorry about that if you do hear it. You're you're fine. Don't worry. I can't hear it on my end. Okay. Um, so there, he, you know, he's kind of just talking about this general thing going on. He says about, he's talking about these difficulties that the grandson is apparently having with GM or J. And as he's like talking about these difficulties and trying to like give advice about that, um, it kind of goes back into what is going on in like the state of the nation and like where the country is at 
but he, you know, he never like is like super specific about anything, but I really like the way that he talks about just how history moves and how like things happen differently than one expects and like how things can get bigger and bigger and bigger um, in a way that like, you know, looking at the his- history books or whatever, it's mm-hmm. hard to see how like... I, I don't know. It, it it's kind of reads as almost like an apology letter, but also like what does one expect? Like yeah. what did what did it's like a similar tone to the the mom almost. Yeah, but I, I mean I thought it was more empathetic because like mm. to me I felt like like there's so much like resignation and like almost a recognition that we like failed and that part of the reason that we failed is because we failed to act hard and and swiftly enough when things happened. Mm. And then after that, what are you supposed to do? Like, I think like he tells this, um, he uses this like metaphor of like shitting on the kitchen table (laughs) Yes. And it's and it's like, okay, well, if you ha- are having a party and somebody shits on the table and you don't kick them out immediately and you just yell and talk about it, then they take another shit on the table and then clearly yelling and talking about it didn't work. Like all of a sudden as soon as someone has shit on the table, now like the number of shits that can be had are limitless basically is like what he says. Yeah. This, like, line has been crossed. Yeah. And then once it's crossed, it's, like, that's, like, there's no going back. Yeah. It, it, it's the same with that kind of hope, hopelessness that, like, that's part of what made me feel. Yeah. That added to the feeling of, like, hopelessness in it. Like, just that that exact metaphor. <laughs> the shit on the table. Yeah. And so, like, it's it's something that, like, I get. Like, this is, I think what, it's not so much that it made me feel hopeless but it's more it just made me feel like in a way seen because sometimes I feel frustrated by like my own like feeling of like lack of action. But then it's also mm. like sometimes like being a super active participant in some of these things like is a real privilege. Like if you have you, you know, you have family, you have bills to pay, like you can't not everybody is able to dedicate themselves in every way to a movement right right and so like I thought that this book did a good job the story did a good job of like showing that kind of like frustration like okay like I live in the middle of nowhere where do you propose I do a march or I live in a state or an area where people are already vocally against what's happening in the country so like what is this gonna do or I you know, okay, like there are no marches near me. You tell me I should start a march. I still don't know how one does that. Like I don't have that skill set. So like I thought that this like story um, showed, I I think to me sometimes like the lack of like um, preparation or like ability almost that like I feel like our generation kind of has had 
to do much. And yeah. and like a lot of stuff has changed and a lot of stuff has been better. But like this feeling of like maybe we weren't prepared or, or ill-equipped to do this um, or to make the change. Like to me, I just really thought that this was a good portrayal of like feelings that I know I've certainly had and frustrations that I've had but at the same time it it is like this acknowledgement of like excuses being made and resigning to certain realities or um like sitting and watching kind of something happen you know, and like he talks about like how, oh, like what would you have done? Like you would have donated to certain campaigns. You would have like done this, done that. Well, guess what? Like so did we. We we did all those things. Like, yeah, I think. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, that's all. That's sorry. That's all I was going to say about that. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to a thing at work. Yes. We do have two mo- two more stories to get through and. We could just probably talk about one of them forever, but I do want to cover them all. Yes. Okay. So, um, this story, I actually, I really did like this story. Um, so just a synopsis of this story briefly, I'm, I, I feel like I'm going to mix up the names a little bit, but there's, um, I think it's Brenda is the one that she's like, kind of like a secretary at this company. Yes. And she is obviously, like, super underpaid, does not make very much money. And, but she is kind of, like, she's she's just a funny character. So she's still... She's kind of having a train wreck of a life, too. Like, she's she's had a hard, she's had a rough go at it. And, like, she's, like, had a hard... But then there's things she does that are kind of unlikable. Like, she's just kind of a difficult person, I feel like. Yeah, she is. But she... So she steals from work. She feels like, and when I say say she steals from work, I'm like, she steals coffee pods. She steals supplies for her house that she like can't afford. Yeah. It's not, it's like, of course that's the kind of theft that like people get in trouble for. Right. Like she doesn't like, there's so many people just like stealing money from so many people and companies. And she's like this kind of blue, like blue collar crime kind of thing. Yeah. And well, and that's exactly like what happens in this. So she, um, it's so funny, like the way that this goes, where she's so awkward, like she's so obvious about her stealing stuff, and she tries so hard to like make it not seem like, like a thing. <laughs> so like funny. so, even on like the first page, she's like, "Wow, it seems crazy that they wash your time card so close, and yet look at all these coffee thingies on the counter. A person could just take, and who'd ever know?" And she's like saying this to a coworker, and she just like doesn't stop. She just like her foot needs to go into her mouth like she needs to stop yeah. talking and that's that's like her personality through this whole story but um it gets to a point where she you know she's like kind of routinely treated like shit by other people and because she's like a person that's a little lower in the office as far as the office totem pole is concerned she yeah. like notices things and she picks up on um her superiors uh, you know, doing less than savory things. So specifically, Jen, I think, is her... Yeah, um, short for Genevieve. Yes, Genevieve is her uh, superior. And she, you know, she notes that Genevieve has been, like, stealing 
money. Like it's like having an affair with a client on the clock and it has like build yes. the company for that time. Um, like, uh, like oh, thousands of dollars worth, um, of time and resources. And, um, so Brenda gets like caught, uh, stealing. And so she gets actually called into a meeting and I can't remember, like, was well, this, it's funny how happened it, that like where yes. she actually gets called in and fired. Yeah. So, well, what starts it is so like Brenda and Genevieve meet in like the kind of like lunch area, break room or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Brenda is like so anxious about the fact that she's like been stealing these things. And so she kind of like overshares to Genevieve and she says something like calls their Genevieve's boss as well as Brenda's boss, like a dodo. Like she's oh, kind of right. pointing out like the things like what you were talking about that people do around the office that are like unsavory or like maybe pointing out how they take advantage of her or things like that. And mm-hmm. so she calls their like shared boss a certain dodo is what she says. And then this said boss kind of walks in at the end of it. So then it's this question of like, oh, what did he hear? So then Genevieve trying to like suck up to him in a way. Yeah. Like makes a unsavory like look about Brenda. Like, oh, can you believe this girl? And then instead of him like agreeing with her, he like looks at her like she's being mean about Brenda. So then yeah. this like tortures Genevieve. And then she like. Like, what did she say? Um, she tells, like, she throws Brenda under the bus. So she goes to Tim and is like, hey, I don't know if you heard, but, like, Brenda's been speaking disrespectfully about you. Like, that's what was going on when you walked in. That's why I had that look. Yeah. And so then Tim's like, why the hell is she telling me this? Like, his re- his reactions to all these things are hilarious. Like, he's yeah. just, like, really funny. And then, so then it just becomes this back and forth with Brenda and Genevieve. So then that's when, like, Brenda, oh, right. Brenda- starts brings up like gives to tim like evidence of what's been going on and then genevieve like brings full-on video like security footage of brenda stealing things and then also gets the guy she's sleeping with to like call as a client and like lie for her and lie for them and say there's this big project they've been working on and like like she and it's obvious that she got him to do that and so it's just crazy and then they end up having to fire brenda because well i mean she's like What's actually crazy is the fact that they fire Brenda, but then Jen is just like totally, totally fine. You know, like they basically the reaction to the fact that Genevieve has been stealing money, you know, when Tim finds out it's it's like the scandal isn't so much the fact that she's been stealing it's like the fact that somebody told on her. So like, yeah, page 121. This is like when he's found out and he calls her in and it says at first she denied it, then burst into tears. He felt bad about the crying. He didn't care. He told her what she did in her private life, but she just couldn't do it on company time. Did she see that? Did she agree? And then the, the shift, like the focus just completely sh- shifts. And uh, Genevieve says, who gave you these? And he, you know, he says he doesn't know. And then she says, was it Brenda? Was it that fucking Brenda? Bitch. And then he, you know, he says, whoa. And they're like fat flabbergasted. And then she just gets up and he's like, wait, I'm not firing you. And she's like, no shit. Like the fact that she's not even remotely worried about her Mm -hmm. job security. And then because somebody's stealing fucking paper towels, like that's the person that gets cut off. And like, yeah, it's crazy. But it's so realistic. Oh, yeah. And I think it 
fits right into, for me, the big theme that I got out of these stories was like this idea of, you know, like it's kind of hopeless. It's almost like we're already like, like this, like things will continue to devolve and this is what it'll look like. And it's so realistic. And so it, it really fit into it that way as played out through these office politics, which I think are so interesting having like lived through tons of years of office politics and seeing it. And it's just like, fascinating just the depravity that is encouraged and Mm -hmm. accepted and like exalted and so it's it's it felt like it was fascinating because I recognized so much of it and then also just so icky because that's an icky place to be and like because I think this like this story's icky to me it's it is icky it's it's relatable in the sense that I feel like Like, even just this conversation of, like, especially when you're, like, lower, you know, on the, on the pole, like, really, like, in the ladder, Mm -hmm. you're at the, you're in the bottom rung. And it is this kind of, like, there's so much resentment sometimes of, like, the privileges that people in upper positions receive, where it does, like, totally understand why people feel like you do less work and you have more privileges, like, make it make sense. Um, but that's how the system is built basically. And like, that's always the goal is to do the least and get the most out of it. So like that's, that was really relatable. And then yes, like these conversations that people have and like the things people will say to other people about other coworkers without, with like a complete disregard for like their livelihood, you know, is like it's harsh and it's it definitely felt um like especially right now like very relatable because going through a transition in a government office Mm -hmm. is um extremely difficult extremely difficult it is it is there is a sense of every man for themselves in a way and so like there is like a question sometimes of like trust amongst colleagues because you don't know what anybody's like goal or end game is. And, um, this, you know what I think sucks about that is like, yeah, it takes away so much time and energy from what you want to be doing and should be doing. Like, yeah, particularly when it comes to things like that, where you're supposed to be providing a service, like, that yep. is just there is such a waste of time and it's such a disservice to like everybody. Like it has such far more reaching effects, I think, than just say like a standard oh, corporation. Yeah. I don't know. So that's got to really be frustrating. It It is. And like people are so secretive kind of about it, you know, like it's mm. just like a weird time. Lots of rumors and it's rumors like not even just inside the office. It's like a community wide thing. You know, yeah. and it's it is like a weird situation, but I totally related to the, to this like this sense of like just how taxing this kind of work and these kinds of environments can be, in in the way that they just really don't make sense sometimes. Yeah. you know, like the fact that this woman is like. I don't know, just the judgments people make, you know, because Brenda, again, like, yeah, she overshares. She talks a lot. She clearly has, like, a lot of, like, pent-up resentments. Made some poor poor decisions in her life, too. Yeah, like, has poor judgment. And so you totally understand that. But then you also hear, like, the way that other people are talking about her or thinking it. And 
I like this is something that I think George Saunders does a lot, which I like is like he'll he'll do like little tiny snapshots of somebody's reaction, like an outsider's yeah. reaction to a situation. So generally in the story, like Brenda, Tim and Genevieve are like our main characters. Right. But then when right. Brenda leaves, we get this like quick snapshot of what the like receptionist thinks about her oh that's right I forgot about that part and she it's it's kind of sad I'm trying to remember is it Kylie oh yeah um like she thinks it's pathetic that Brenda yeah gets fired which is insane she says uh yeah Yeah. you are Kylie thought as Brenda went out wow not only does the older lady like a grandma get fired now she has to take a bus home harsh anyway how do you take a bus she had no idea no plan of finding out having had the Prius ever since she got her dad her license thanks dad thanks Bridget why are some people old people so dumb as to get fired yet also sweet who could get that old and still don't know the basic stuff about how to do stuff that's just how it was probably even back in caveman times there'd been smart cave people and dopey old sweet ones gazing over sad eyes at the smart ones as the smart ones chewed on some big old leg of meat while looking back at the dumb ones like sucks for you (laughs) it's so funny well read well, and then uh, it's like, but it's also like, like, fuck you, Kylie. Like, fuck you and your Prius. That's the thing. Like, I feel like none of the characters are redeemable. Like, none. there's like things that you want them to, like, that's what I mean. Like, for me, it just adds to this like idea of just like hopelessness because it's like, all these people suck. Like, there's no one good person in this story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, to yeah. varying degrees, obviously. And they don't like, there's still redeemable qualities, but it's like, ugh. You're just like kind of shitty people. And that to me, like, I swear, I joke about it, but like my big goal as a parent is just for my kids to not be assholes. Like I truly have no, Mm -hmm. like, I I mean, of course there's things that would make me very happy or whatever, but it's like, just be a good person. Just don't be an asshole. Like Like, that's just generally, that is good. That is good thoughts about people. Don't talk shit. think you're, yeah. Yeah. Don't, you will not get a critic. Like, yes, whatever Mm -hmm. you want, I will support, but like, just be a good person. I like, totally agree right. with that. It's funny. And none of these know, people are good. I don't know if you like feel this way, but I feel like lately I there's been so much talk. Like really just, I feel like two women. Like I see this like idea of like, you don't owe anybody your niceness. You don't have to be nice just to be nice. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. And I like, I see this all the time because obviously like I feel like women in general are like, always told that we have to be nice and docile a lot of the times but I hate that message of like you don't owe anybody your kindness I'm like uh yeah the fuck you do like we live in a society we have like a societal contract of like conduct you actually do owe people kindness and like like everybody deserves to be treated kindly as like a human being like what the fuck is this message and this like, kind of like bugged me about a lot of these characters of just like how unkind they are and even just like their thoughts about random people. Like they're just ungenerous to each other. And I feel like it just feeds into yeah. the issue of like people being unkind and not like having perspective for other people's lives. And it's very easy, obviously, like to say all this stuff about like characters in a short story. But like the thing is, is that this story in particular, I think is like 
a really good example of just how people generally can behave in an office. And in a lot of the time, it has nothing to do with, like, them as people. You know, like, these characters specifically, like, are doing things that are, like, objectively maybe wrong. But, like, I don't know. Like, it, that's just a, an idea that does bug me about just like the world right now which maybe he's trying to say is just like people are really fucking mean to each other sometimes well and I think it's interesting like because like I feel like there's it goes throughout all of those stories in the book like there's such unlikable it's it's just they're on it's like unlikable the situations the people like it's not none of it's like pleasant um and which I think is great. Like that's part of what's so jarring about it. But then it's interesting because he mixes some of them that are like not their science fiction, like the first story to mm-hmm. something that's so realistic, like with the mom and her son, like so. And then same with this one. So it's interesting, mm-hmm. the kind of mix of, you know, and there's more stories that are also, I would say, like science fiction or dystopian, like in the next part that we'll talk about. But yeah, it's prevalent in all of them and so it's very like you kind of go back and forth where you almost can excuse it for like well it will the world will never be like that does that make sense like that seems too unrealistic that's too out there and so just when you start to get comfortable with like okay things are still fine because that's so outlandish and then you get hit with this story where it's like shit I've lived that like yeah it's like very that's so realistic like this is thing yeah Yeah. so it's very like it really keeps it kept me on edge like I mean and I don't mean any of this in a negative way like it's just really powerful like um so too because it yeah it just really kept me on edge and made me like uncomfortable but in a way like not where I didn't want to keep reading just it's just it's crazy how it can have that effect I think part of why that vibe like still works for me with his writing is I think he's a very funny writer like I think he is very comedic in the way that he writes and the way he writes different voices and stuff that like it's fun to it's like you can look into his stories and and see all of this ridiculousness and absurdity, but at the same time, there is like a way of reading his stories where you can just like laugh at some of the dialogue or like the way, like like the the reading that I just, the part that I just read, like it's like funny. It's fun to read the way that it's written, but it's not a funny thought or feeling that like the character is actually having, but like his his writing style is just very funny to me and interesting and like, kind of the way that he writes contrasts quite a bit sometimes with like the story that he's actually telling and like the horror like it's like a horror story but he writes it like a like a comedy almost it's pretty funny yes yes I agree that's a good assessment yeah I really liked this for like I've loved everything we've read so far like yeah. I said, we could talk about it forever. Should we should we move on to the sparrow yes all right you give us a synopsis on this one Okay, so I'll do my best. I feel like I'm so bad at these. I should practice at it. But, but like the gist is it's so it's like, you know, told in the third person and it's about this this woman who's kind of looked at with like pity. Like I kind of pick there's nothing southern in the story, but I just kind of got this feel of like, oh, bless her heart. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people are just not kind about her, but then like pity her. Um, and she works at this store and then she has like romantic feelings for 
Randy, who's um, the son of the store owner and like works at the store with her. And he's like her older mother, like his elderly mother, excuse me. So he's like takes care of her to a degree, too. Anyway, and she just kind of patiently is herself. And then Randy all of a sudden like starts to think, oh, well, you you, well, it's nice to be liked. And like he likes the attention. Then that turns into like genuine feelings and the mother doesn't like it. And the townspeople always talk about it and they talk about it and like they're just always so negative about it. And like they end up getting married mm-hmm. and like for seemingly living happily ever after. But there's like still this negative outlook from the town. So like it ends. I love this ending. It says um, it talks about how they're going to get married. And all of us would go to that wedding because how could we not? And because the new couple looked so naive, happy and clueless. Standing there at the altar of the church with no bell in its tower, we would think, oh, this is not going to end well. And it may not. It still may not end well, life being, as they say, long. But it has not ended badly yet. It has not ended at all. When we are in that story, we will often hear him singing her praises, whether she is nearby or not. And same with her. She is always singing his praises, whether he is nearby or not. Seeing her now, one does not think, looks like a bird, but small, glowing lady. And he, he moves around the store with a theatrical beneficence, seeming to take a fastidious pleasure in helping customers with even the smallest things, sometimes even helping a customer too much for too long. Not at all ashamed now, it seems, to be seen working in his mother's store as he had so often seemed to be formerly. And it just goes on and on that the mother even is being adoring and devoting to her. Mm-hmm. So it's like, even though it then talks about this happy ending, it's still in like this, to me, it's just like this very negative, like... <sighs> What's the word? Not pessimistic, but like when you kind of revel in other people's pleasure, like, you know how some people just like, it's like they always want something bad to happen and they can't like for someone else specifically. And they can't like admit that, oh, maybe we were wrong. Maybe this is good. Like they will have a happy, like that sort of a thing. So it's just, you know, it's just kind of a, but I don't know. I thought it was a weird tone. I like, I was off putting. It is a weird tone. It's, but I do, and like I mean that in a positive ends. way. I liked yeah, reading yeah, yeah. it. I liked how he made it that way. Is what yeah. I mean. Yeah, I do think though that like he, just based on the fact that it does seem like there is like a happy ending. There's at least like maybe not an ending, but there is like such thing as a happy existence, you know, or like a good pace. So I feel like while yes, like that that tone is definitely there. This one I do feel like I, this whole book is criticizing that kind of stuff, but I feel like this yeah. story is like kind of more explicitly criticizing that and like almost like criticizing I don't know, like these segments where um the the chapters, the sorry, the paragraphs where it says and imagine this, imagine you are a woman, imagine you are the man, like going through like the list of like, how would you feel if you were looked at in this way? And then like, look at how things like grow from that and build and like how things kind of progress in this relationship. Um, And so it kind of seems like he is assuming maybe that we are the, the people at the wedding having these negative thoughts or assumptions or like, kind of I think a condescending attitude about like an assumption that we're making about people and what we think is needed for a successful marriage or relationship or something and he's kind of like looking down at us and being like step outside of yourself audience you know and like reconsider kind of what you view what your benchmark is for like what makes a successful 
relationship or couple or what happiness looks like. And I liked that about this story. Like, I think that's an important lesson. I think that like people or exercise, I think that people do need to have. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I liked, I, this one was like, uh, my first, like right after I read it, I was like, oh, that was interestingly simple. But then the more I thought about it and like, just through talking about it, it's like simple, but, um, Mm -hmm but not in an uncomplicated way. Like it's, yeah. it's so easily laid out and there's so much to it. Like, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not describing it very well, but it's really great. I'm, I've really loved, I loved all the stories in this first half that we read all really good. So I'm excited to talk about um, the second set of stories next time. Awesome. Me too. So we will be back for the next episode. We'll be finishing up. Um, we'll be discussing Cool Mother's Day, Elliot Spencer, and my house. So if you haven't already, go pick up your copy of Liberation Day to get caught up uh, by George Saunders. And then should we give should I give another reminder of what we're reading next? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then the next book we'll be doing, so after this episode, is The Book of Goose by Yu Yun Lee. So I'm really excited about this one too. And it's not a very long read. Uh, so I think it's a nice one for because it's a little busy holiday time right now. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I think this is a nice, this is, it's not holiday-ish. Like it has enough, it's, I don't get that feel at all. But I think it's like a really nice one to read over the holiday. So it's good, can, will keep you invested. But like if you have to put it down and come back to it, it's okay. Does that make sense? Like yeah. you'll, you'll get right back into it easily. It's really nice that way. So I think this is a good one for this time of year. So go pick up a copy of that. Um, uh, like if you're in Salt Lake, King's English has 15% off um, oh, nice. on like over the weekend. So this should be out around then. Um, but yeah, go support your local businesses, especially around the holidays. So bookshop.org if you don't have a bookstore next to you. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I think so too. Sweet. All right. Well, you will talk to you guys next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.